This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Ski. Oh, what's up, everybody? Mr. Adam X, your host, and you're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective. We're going to get right into it this week. I'm going to get right after it with my sponsors. My first sponsor this week is Woodchuck Cider, uh, specifically Woodchuck Cider Stock. It is August 20th, so it's about 11 days away, 10 days away. Headliner is Bleachers, one of my favorite, secretly favorite bands. Uh, Mr. Wives will be there. Ripe will be there. It's going to be an absolute party. Tickets are still available. You can get them at woodchucksiderstock.com. It's just a celebration. It's going to be a party. It's in Vermont. So come hang. Woodchucksiderstock.com. Buy tickets. And we'll see you in a week. And my second sponsor this week, Portable Shower. I don't know how to describe it. Geyser Systems. It's a shower. It's made for mobile, on the go. I'm using it out of the van, clearly. You can keep it in the back of your car. You can take a seven-minute shower with less than a gallon of water. It's got a built-in heater if you want to use that. Lifetime limited warranty. A 30-day money-back guarantee. It's a Colorado-based company, and it literally has like revolutionized the way you can take a shower while camping. Uh, it's a complete game changer. It's available at REI, Camping World, Amazon, Backpacker. I, I genuinely cannot geek out on this more. I've been searching for a shower solution, and this isn't just like me reading an ad or being an influencer here. It is genuinely fast, compact. I can fill it with water and store it, which I really like, and they don't recommend that. But in the summer, if you're just like filling up at a hose, you can drive it to somewhere and use it. Versus, I know the competitors, we're using those big bags, they're goofy, they're a pain in the butt. Check out geysersystems.com. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. And if, I mean, it's a 30-day money back guarantee, free shipping, and a lifetime warranty. So if you don't trust me, trust them. Trust over the 300 reviews on REI.com. Check them out, geysersystems.com. And now for my final sponsor this week. Uh, kind of an underwriter for this episode, actually, but we'll get into that. Uh, Goo Energy. Goo Energy gels, Stroop Waffle, hydration tablets. Oh, they're good. They work. They're available almost everywhere from Amazon to REI, local retailers, Dick's, CVS, Walmart. They're so good. Science-backed, athlete-proven. They've been around for 30 years, and they're the first to do it. First energy gel company. I actually asked my guests where the name Goo comes from, so she answered that for me. And I, I really can't. They have a flavor for everybody. If you go on their website, you can literally check it out, gooenergy.com. Yeah, they're like nerds who are athletes who enjoy having fun. So I don't, it doesn't really get any better than that. Um, yeah, go to GooEnergy.com. We're going to give you 20% off GooEnergy.com. Use code OUTOFBOUNDS. I don't believe it is case sensitive, but if it is, use all caps, OUTOFBOUNDS, 20% off your order at GooEnergy.com. Get yourself a Stroop waffle. Get yourself some tablets. It's summer. We're sweating. You need to fuel yourself. And speaking of fueling yourself, we're going to get right into this episode. My guest this week 
and I said kind of an underwriter with goo, is Roxanne Vogel. Some of you might know that name because she Everested in 14 days, meaning she left from San Francisco, walked to the top of Mount Everest, and then was back in San Francisco in 14 days. She also happens to be the nutrition and performance research manager at Goo Energy Labs. We geek out in this episode. I learned so much uh, from Roxanne being the athlete to the science nerd geeky. She uses it. She knows about it. She studies it. She understands it. Again, I can't emphasize how much I learned from this episode, when to take goose, when to take gels, when to eat stroop waffles versus it's such a good episode. Uh, if you've been wondering about nutrition and how it works and how you should feel yourself, this is a must listen episode. And I want to say something. You don't have to be a superstar athlete or breaking records to eat properly. And I mean eat properly while doing activities. If you worked all day and you're going for a bike ride, there's an energy energy tablet goo gel block for that. So listen to this episode, do your own research. Roxanne Vogel is an absolute rock star. I had so much fun. I learned so much. So here's the episode right now. All right. Well, <laughs> my name is Roxanne Vogel. I am the nutrition and performance research manager at Goo Energy Labs, which essentially means I get to do all of the fun science things. Uh, so related to product development, researching different ingredients we might put in our products. I also work with our sponsored athletes to help them with their nutrition plans. Uh, whether that's for special events they might have or races or just daily nutrition. I do that as well as any kind of educational content. So a lot of writing for our blog or uh, giving talks and things like that at different events. And then in addition to that, I'm also a PhD candidate. So I'm currently going to school overseas, kind of a long story, but uh, Southern Cross University in Australia is where I'm getting my PhD right now. I was there when the pandemic started and we <laughs> ended all up coming that home. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get back there at some point at the end of the year, but uh, finishing up my PhD in exercise physiology. So my main focus with that is looking at different nutrition strategies to help athletes perform better, specifically in really challenging environments like heat or cold or high altitude. Um, so basically environmental physiology. Um, and then I guess on top of that, I also like to climb mountains <laughs> in my spare time. So uh, high altitude mountaineering is kind of my passion. I've climbed all of the seven summits. So the tallest peak on each continent, um, including Mount Everest, which was fortunate enough to set a, I guess, speed record on uh, 14 days from door to door in San Francisco up to the summit and back. Uh, and that was 2019. And then I use uh, trail running, ultra running to train for mountaineering. So right now I'm actually getting ready to run Leadville 100 in a few weeks. But that's me. <laughs> Your resume is insane. Like clearly I did my due diligence and I Googled you and I looked you up and like, you just, you literally shrugged your shoulders when you said, I've done the seven summits. Like how, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. 
I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, it's, you know, I guess I have this weird list thing. I like to, it's same with education. I like to rack up different uh, achievements. And like, once I do one thing, it's like, oh, well, let's just do the next thing and whatever makes sense. And then I just go down these paths and see them through to the finish. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if the summit summits is like the coolest thing ever, but it's an amazing way to see the world. And I think that's the way that I look at it is like, I had the opportunity to go to every single continent and climb really beautiful mountains. So I think that's the biggest takeaway from all of that, as opposed to just saying, oh, I climbed the seven summits. Like that's, I got to see the world. So. That's such a humble opinion or like, I don't know if it's an opinion, but just a humble way to look at it. Like it's so much more than just the goal, the achievement. It's what, what got you there and why it got you there. But what does Roxanne look like? How does Roxanne get to Everesting, San Francisco, and back in 14 days? Like, what is childhood? Are you, Do you know you're an athlete? Are you a team sports? What does it look like? Uh, yeah. No. Growing up, I did play sports, but I wasn't, like, an all-star athlete by any means. My sister, who's a few years older, was always the athlete in the family, um, you know, naturally talented at any sport. And... I just kind of was always really book smart and did well in school, but I played sports just for fun more than anything. And then it wasn't until college that I took up running as a way to just sort of manage day-to-day stress with school. And I went and did a study abroad program in Peru where I got to do the trek up to Machu Picchu, which is, you know, there's some mountains involved. You go over a 14,000 foot pass. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And I was like, yes, I need to do more of this. Um, and again, like my family is from San Diego, California. So I grew up kind of a beach kid. We didn't really go to the mountains ever. I think we went camping once when I was five and that was it. Uh, so when I decided to start mountaineering, I ended up moving to Colorado and, um, you know, I lived in Denver, so kind of close access to the mountains and I trained there and everything, but yeah, it was certainly a huge departure from my childhood and like my family to this day doesn't really understand where I went off in this direction. But uh, yeah, I think once I found what I really loved, which is just like being outdoors, exploring, just being very physical, uh, interacting with the environment, uh, I just never looked back, I guess. So kind of an interesting way to get to where I am, but it all makes sense now, I guess. Yeah. And you've, it sounds like, and it sounds like you continue to further your education when was there a choice when like you were thinking, wow, I could do this. Profe- I could be an athlete professionally and get paid. And you chose to do higher education because now it, I would consider you a professional athlete. Like you set a world record and never been done. Like that's that's you could make a career doing those things. But it seems like you continue to further your education and then just also continue the athlete thing. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, um, I'm very flattered that you (laughs) made that comment. (laughs) I don't consider myself a professional athlete. Let's be clear. Um, I work with professional athletes, which is very humbling and inspiring. Um, But yeah, I think education for me has always come first. And, um, you know, I'm really fortunate to work at a place like Goo Energy where they really support my educational goals and they're allowing me to also work on my PhD right now, 
while working full-time, which has been amazing. Like there's no way I'd be able to do a PhD full-time and work full-time anywhere else, I don't think. So yeah, I, I always have had a passion for learning ever since I was a kid. That's never changed. And um, I have always wanted to get my PhD. So I guess this is just another one of those goals where it's like, I'm going to see it through to the end. We'll make it happen. However, it has to happen. And even the whole thing with like getting my education through this university in Australia was such a weird fluke of luck that, um, yeah, I just always go back to like, I feel like things are where they need to be and uh, things just sort of work out how they have to. But yeah, I think education first, my career, and then athletic pursuits. But uh, I do like to try and push the envelope a little bit. So I'm also getting ready for this really cool race, which I just found out. Um, you'll probably like this. It's in Bhutan uh, in October, and it's a stage race. It's the first time they're ever going to run it. But essentially, it's drawing attention to the need for climate action in that region. So it's through the Himalaya Mountains. And the average altitude is 14,000 feet for the race. And you go over some like 18,000 foot passes. I'm like, perfect. It sounds great. Um, but really it's about, so there's the glaciers there that are melting and, you know, the communities around that area really rely on the glaciers just for their way of life. And so the whole goal of this race is to really raise awareness about that issue. But the fact that it's in Bhutan is just so amazing. I've never been there, but it's a hard place to get into for one. It was closed off to foreigners for very many years. So I'm so excited to go. But uh, that's another project I'm looking forward to in the next couple months. Yeah, I love hearing things like that because mountaineering and and ultra running, they're very selfish sports. And I mean that in the kindest way, but like they are. It's just Agree. It's, it's a personal goal most of the time. And, you know, there's nothing at the top of Everest. There's nothing there. It's, I'm sure it's beautiful, yeah. but like it's not like I have, I have no idea. I mean, I've seen videos, but like there's nothing there. It's the top of a mountain. It's just like when you get to the top of your local ski resort for some people, that might be there. But there's nothing there other than like that thing inside of you that told you you could. Right. And seeing these events pop up that are like, okay, how can we be selfish? Because like you selfishly want to run these peaks and do these adventures, but like while raising awareness for climate change and things we just care about. And it's so there's been a lot of events like this popping up that are just like so refreshing to hear. Do you know the name? Is there like a specific name of the event or? Yeah, sorry. It's called the snowman race. Okay. Um, so again, Simple. they snowman haven't run race. yet. They've been trying to plan it for like the last three years, but the whole pandemic situation put a kibosh on it, but uh, this will be the, the first time they're running it and it's invitation only. Um, and it's a total of 30 runners. So 20 international or 22 international and eight from Bhutan. And yeah, it just, it sounds so amazing, but I think the cause is really great as well. And it's something I really care about just being someone who really enjoys the outdoors and everything I've done all over the world, just seeing everything and how important the environment is to local communities and, you know, being able to help raise awareness is great. Yeah. It's a, it's a way to give back while still being slightly selfish, but no, it's, and I can't imagine planning that event pandemic, no pandemic. It sounds like an absolute logistical nightmare. So hats off to anyone who's planning that thing. Cause I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> at all. Uh, doesn't excite me. I want to talk. 
we're going to talk all about nutrition. We're going to get into that in the second half, um, heavy, but I think this helps like really drive home your credentials. Like you are a superstar athlete who just happened to chose, choose higher education and a career before the athletic, the athletic side of you, which I think is important to note. But what was the idea behind the Everest? So basically you did it in 10 days. It's 14 from the States and back. I assume that's basically four days of travel. Right. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Plain and simple. Like what? Why? Well, I guess for one, I, being the science geek that I am, I wanted to see if it was possible from a physiological standpoint, because we know in mountaineering that for safety reasons, you need to spend a long amount of time acclimatizing for safety, like just so you can, you know, get there, feel okay, not pass out. Um, But yeah, so most people, when they climb Everest, it takes a couple months. You got to be there. You got to hang out at base camp for a long time. You do rotations up and down the mountain. And it's just like a really long time, not only to be there and be away from home, be away from your career, but it's also just a lot of exposure to hazards like getting sick or, you know, avalanche or whatever it is, getting injured. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. Like we've got to be able to make this more efficient. Um, And so I had heard about some rapid ascents that had been happening um, on different mountains in the world, like down in Ecuador. So I did a couple of different practice runs before I ever tried doing it on Everest. So I did some climbs in Ecuador. I did a climb down in Chile just to see if this whole rapid ascent style would work, which basically boils down to using altitude tents and chambers to acclimatize at sea level before you ever get to the mountain. So you save all of that time um, by using these tents at home as opposed to spending that time on the mountain. So uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, I've spent a lot of time in, uh, in hypoxic tents. Um, so I was sleeping in it and we have a chamber set up at Goo in our gym. We have a little hypoxic room that I could use where I would do like my work. I had a stand up desk, but also some training equipment so I could train and work in there during the day. And yeah, essentially I wanted to see, can it be done? Is it safe? What's going to happen to the body? So I did end up doing various measurements. Like I looked at body composition, so muscle and Uh, fat and bone, like pre and post. I did some blood work pre and post. Um, All of this stuff was, you know, research that was eventually published uh, later on. So it was part science project, part passion project, and really just a lot of, can it be done? That got me there. Is there anything you wish you knew? Like if you did it again, what would you do differently? Hmm. Great question. Honestly, I think everything worked out pretty well and almost somewhat miraculously because it, it, the crazy thing is, is like I'm sitting there waiting for a phone call from people who were already on the mountain for a forecast for the weather that's like, okay, you have this window that you can summit in, so you have to fly out now. And everything just had to fall in perfectly into place for this to all work out. And it did, even though there were days when like there was bad weather moving in, we didn't think we were going to get a weather window once I was on the ground there in Tibet. Um, and then we just got this really tiny window when nobody else was climbing yet. Um, so it was myself and my guide and two climbing Sherpas. So we just went up and like 
made <laughs> a strategic strike, made it to the summit, like nobody else there from the Tibet China side, which is insane. Yeah, never happened. Uh, yeah, summit completely to ourselves. Again, totally that never happens ever. So I I would love to say there's some things I would change. Maybe I would take more measurements. I, I wish I had some more data, I guess, just to present for research purposes because it was such a rare and unique style of ascent that I think we could, as a scientific community, learn from, you know, here's how the body responds to something like this, like going from sea level to essentially I landed in Tibet and was at 17,000, 18,000 feet within eight hours because we had to drive there. But yeah, for most people, if they weren't acclimatized and you did that, you went from sea level to 18,000 in the same day, like you would pass out, like that would be it. So there's a lot of things that fell into place in the right way, but I wish we just had more information from it to be able to share out and for people to learn. Everest just seems like a horrible time. <laughs> <laughs> like physically you felt good. You were like, it was, I mean, obviously it's a suffer fest, but like you, your training was where you thought it needed to be. And once you got the, cause you don't know, like you're prepping for something that like. Never been done. Yeah. yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously that thought in the back of my mind, like I could get there and this could not have worked. And I, that could be game over when I get there, you know, base camp could be it. Um, but no, when I got to base camp, I actually, I felt really good. We did some just simple hikes around to see, you know, how the body was responding. I was taking readings, like looking at my um, blood oxygen content and everything like that. And everything seemed on point. So I felt confident then to keep moving up the mountain. Um, and we just went straight up instead of doing rotations like most people would do, like going higher, coming down, going a little bit higher. So we just did one straight push up. Um, you know, I felt pretty strong the whole time. My training was pretty intense. Um, I spent, gosh, close on a year, I guess, really preparing physically for this. So I felt really strong. Um, and yeah, I think I was just because we moved so quickly. Most people who go and climb Everest will lose a significant amount of weight on the mountain just because like at those altitudes, your body literally starts eating itself for survival. Um, there's no pretty way to explain it, really. It's just uh, there's not enough energy or oxygen to be able to maintain your body mass. But because I went and came down so quickly, I didn't lose an ounce of muscle. Like I didn't lose any weight. Um, I didn't get sick. And so I think all of those things are just really good reasons and validation that doing it this way can be safe and also maybe even a little better if you're not, you know, getting sick, losing a bunch of weight, taking so much time off work, so on and so forth. Do you think it's obtainable for the av for the average, we'll call them Everest customer? Because that, that's they're not consumers. Like they already, it costs a lot of money to go climb Everest. But you were in a position where you're fortunate with working with Goo and having, you know, you had a stand-up desk inside a tent at, I don't know what altitude you've, that sim, you know. Yeah, 12,000 feet. Yeah, like roughly. that's what you're, si you're sitting at at your desk. But like, is this obtainable for the average Joe? Or will it be obtainable technology in five years, in 10 years. I know like Adrian sleeps in a tent. Adrian Ballinger and Emily Harrington always have like, once in a while they'll post like their couple's photo in their bed and they're both like in their own little tent, like getting <laughs> yeah. ready for something because they're professional athletes and that's what they, but it's for a regular civilian in quotes, 
is this obtainable tech and is this maybe the future of Everesting? You know, I think for people who are going to put down the kind of money and time commitment that it takes to climb Everest, I think it is accessible, honestly. Like there's companies out there that provide these tents. I used Hypoxico, um, but it's relatively affordable. And especially if you get the one that just goes at home over your bed, um, you can rack up a decent amount of hours in there. It's, you know, a little bit, I guess, claustrophobic, but if you're, especially if you're sharing your bed with somebody else, that could be not so fun for them. Uh, but luckily I didn't have that issue at the time. So, but no, I think it is approachable and affordable. And again, if you're somebody who's seriously looking to climb mountains like Everest, then you're probably investing a, a decent amount already just in your preparation and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, there's nothing cheap about it. I don't think anyone thinks it's cheap. I just didn't know how obtainable that tech is at this point. And would there be an advantage? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think the average athlete, age grouper, Ironman athlete, will start training with these, will start having these, like at their house. If they, if you live I live in Buffalo, New York, I'm at sea level, and I want to go do the Boulder Ironman, is that going to, are we seeing that? Is that happening? Or is that, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, there's certainly already folks in, you know, the endurance community and ultra endurance community who are training with altitude tents, especially if they have high altitude races, uh, you know, Leadville is a perfect example. So I'm sitting here at 10,200 feet. The race is at this level, goes up to about 12,000 something. Um, but yeah, people from sea level certainly need to either get out here early to acclimatize naturally for a few weeks, or they can use tents at home. Um, so we have seen that in, I'd say the past five to 10 years, and it seems like it's becoming more and more commonplace. And again, it's not as out of reach or expensive as I think people might assume. So yeah, I think it's reasonable. And the main thing is really getting enough time in the tent. And I think that's where a lot of people can go wrong and then maybe not have the experience they were hoping for as far as, you know, acclimating at home. You really do need to spend a decent amount of time in the tent. So I would say at least... 10 hours. And that can be, you know, sleeping in the tent, maybe you spend eight hours. And then they also have these little mask connections <laughs> to the thing where you can like sit there and do your work. If you don't have one at work, you know, you don't have your chamber at work, like we do at Goo, but you just wear the mask and it's like, you could type on your computer, especially, you know, working remotely or whatnot. But yeah, it's just time under tension, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's how long can you suffer, which is a lot of this sport in general. Um, there you go. Now that we've kind of like, this is who Roxanne is. This is why she can speak to all this. Let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about goo. First, what is your title at goo? Uh, nutrition and performance research manager. Okay. I knew it was a long one, so I wanted you yeah, to say it, not me. <laughs> uh, I feel like we gave enough background as to why you have that title and why you can attest to any of these things. But first, just simple question. How important is nutrition for every athlete because i try to drive it home not to answer this question but i think people sometimes think they need to be in a race or a professional or like doing something over exerting and i'm like no you could you need nutrition after you work all day and go for a bike ride like it is important across the board right yeah no i think that 
just a solid nutrition foundation is going to set you up for any kind of athletic life you want to live, you know, whether that's just doing recreational runs or bike rides or playing with your kids. Um, nutrition is really fundamental to just being healthy and being able to do the sorts of things that you want to do. And then I like to explain things as like a pyramid. So the base of the pyramid is your general everyday nutrition where you need to have just the things we all know we should be doing, but don't necessarily always do. So, you know, like lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, healthy fats, things like that, like cover that base first. That's step one. And then the next step up on the pyramid is going to be your sports nutrition. So that's when you know, the intensity is a little higher, maybe the duration is a little longer, but you need to really focus on getting strategic calories and nutrients uh, at specific times, right? So whether that's right before you're exercising or during any kind of exercise or race or after, um, that's really going to be key. And like the type of things you're eating is going to matter more than just your everyday nutrition. So focusing on things that are easy to digest, uh, won't cause any GI distress and basically deliver what you need, which is energy, electrolytes, and maybe some amino acids to protect your muscles, things like that. Um, so that's kind of the middle layer of the pyramid. And then the top layer of the pyramid, if we're thinking of it as like a, a nutrition pyramid for athletes, the very top would be supplements, right? And that's for people who are working really hard, training really hard, maybe they're depleting their bodies a little more and are not able to necessarily replace all of the nutrients and micronutrients that they need through their everyday diet or sports nutrition. So, you know, cases like that, maybe it's like iron or vitamin D or magnesium. In some cases, you know, at the very top level, you might need to supplement as well as having a good foundation and your sports nutrition. So, so where do we start as like, an average well no i think that's important because i think it's it's intimidating and like you don't know you walk into rei you walk into any any sporting goods place any local there's so many options and like we don't need to name brands we'll talk about goo because that's who we're talking about today but there's so like where do we start how do we know what works how do i know when i'm supposed to eat it how, where, it makes sense for you but like average idiot me i, I don't know i have no idea so like, how do you, how does it start? How do I know when to eat? Which seems such like a stupid question, but like, I don't know. Ignorance is bliss. No stupid questions. Um, yeah, no, it, it can be totally confusing. And I remember way back when, when I first started, you know, running and this was while I was undergrad in college. So I didn't know that much about nutrition at the time walking into REI and buying my first Goo Energy Gel, I was like, well, I'm training for a half marathon. I know I probably should eat something during this race. And I've heard that these gels are made specifically for what I'm going to be doing. So I gave it a try. But um, yeah, I'd say a good rule of thumb for people who are like, oh, do I need to eat something if I'm training? If you're going to be exercising for an hour or more, then you should probably really think about having something during your activity, right? So, uh, you know, that could be an energy gel, that could be a sports drink. The main thing we're looking for is going to be carbohydrates and maybe some electrolytes. Um, and so nowadays, there's even things like the the chews, like we make those. Some other companies make those as well, but they're like little gummy type things that you can nibble on. Um, energy stroop waffles, which is more of like a wafer type thing, almost cookie-like that you can 
also nibble on. So, you know, there's different options, but essentially we're delivering the same thing throughout all of them, which is carbohydrates, electrolytes. And in our case at Goo, we have branch chain amino acids, which are the amino acids that help protect your muscles from breakdown, but also support recovery from exercise uh, after you're finished. So all of those things go into your sports nutrition for during, again, looking at things over an hour in duration, um, up to, you know, very many hours in duration. And so uh, just depending, I guess, on how long you're out there and how hard you're working, that's going to determine how many calories you need per hour. Um, but a good rule of thumb would be about couple hundred calories per hour once you're over that one hour mark and you start thinking about hydration as well and I know it's like a lot of things now but <laughs> um yeah that's a good place to start because yeah it's I think you answered it well but it is like I have no idea and I do I'm not an athlete but I ride my bike five days a week I ski five days a week and like I went for a hundred mile or last week and I first 10 miles I was like oh I am going to eat my way through this ride. Like I am just going to like, cause I was struggling the whole time and I knew if I just, and maybe I'm wrong, but in my brain, I'm like, as long as I just keep fueling, like fueling my tank, I will survive. I have the muscles. They're just not firing properly today. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. So being consistent. And if you know, you're going to be out for a long time, like getting on that fueling early and early and often. Right. So going back to that one hour mark, it's not like you should start fueling at an hour in. It's just like, if you know you're going to be exercising for longer than an hour, then you know you should be fueling. And so with that in mind, if you know you're going to be out for a couple hours, few hours, very many hours, I would say start fueling pretty early on, you know, within the first 20, 30 minutes, and then keep that cadence throughout the rest of your, whatever you're doing. Um, so whether that's having some sports drink here and there every 20 minutes or having a gel every 20, 30 minutes, um, whatever it is, think of it like a, like an IV drip or a trickle feed of nutrients to your body. So you don't want to overload with a ton of nutrition at any one point. Like you don't want to wait until you're two hours in and then eat like 500 calories and then keep going. It's just going to be harder for your body to break down and absorb those calories. So if you do it again, slowly, consistently, and you do it throughout the whole duration of your event, your body's going to be able to process those calories a lot better and you'll feel better as a result. When do I want to throw caffeine? This is all just so I can learn to do this. <laughs> when do I want to throw caffeine into the mix? Cause like I see some gels have caffeine, some don't, I know it's very small amounts of, of caffeine, but in my head, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to burn that like caffeine boost yet. I want to use that at the end of my ride. Is that accurate? Is that yeah, great question. Um, definitely some strategies around caffeine use. I would say one of the known and accepted ways to use it is before you actually start. So if you can get like 200 milligrams-ish of caffeine in within the hour before you start, so that's like two cups of coffee, right? Um, that's a good place to begin. And then caffeine generally has a half-life of about six hours in the body. So maybe around the four hour mark, you might consider doing some more caffeine just to kind of boost those levels again, three to four hours in. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, our products do have caffeine, but it's smaller amounts, which is fine if you've already had that heftier dose before you start, and then you just sort of top up along the way every, you know, few hours. 
Um, so we have caffeine ranging from 20 milligrams all the way up to 70 milligrams is our highest caffeine gel, which is our cold brew gel. But yeah, anywhere in there, you can take a little boost of caffeine. And I would say, yeah, I mean, for that three to four hour mark to, you know, reapply, I guess. And yeah, just sort of keep things rolling along. Can you get too much? Like, is there a too much there? Absolutely. So I would say <laughs> some people are more sensitive to caffeine than others. Uh, and so I'll just throw that out there. But, you know, there can be side effects like jitters, anxiety, nausea, things like that. Um, and again, that's probably a good reason why we only put smaller amounts in each of our gels or um, any of our products. But generally the recommendation for adults is not to have more than about 350 milligrams of caffeine per 24 hour period. So, you know, if you're paying attention to that, you had say 200 milligrams before you even started, that's not a whole lot of bandwidth after that. So yeah, the smaller doses is going to work out in your favor a lot better. Um, but yeah, you can have too much caffeine. Generally that manifests as like jitters, anxiety, upset stomach, things like that. So, so my daily, so I'll just be right back where I started my day. <laughs> there was a time, I guess, back in college, well, I guess I'm still, still in college, in college. still in college, but, uh, yeah, man, I was doing a lot of caffeine and I think my anxiety levels were just so high constantly as a result that I never really noticed it until I cut down on caffeine by a lot and noticed like, wow, I'm just so much more calm now. But yeah, there's a lot of people walking around and they do a lot of caffeine throughout the day and they don't really realize how much of an impact it's having on, on mood and anxiety levels and things like that. So absolutely, you can have too much caffeine and sometimes you just need to take a little step back and see how it really is affecting your body before you keep going forward. Yeah, and I like, I, it's interesting you said the half-life is about six hours because people don't think about, you know, maybe you, go, you meet for your bike ride at 6 p.m. or 4 p.m., we'll say 4 and you had your afternoon cup of coffee at one or two. Sometimes we don't put that into our nutrition, like as you're going riding, you don't think, you just think about what you had in that last hour, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So caffeine in the afternoon can definitely impact your sleep quality for sure. So that's also something to keep in mind. Yeah. I'm an all day coffee drinker, so I'm forever a mess. <laughs> But, I used to be one. I understand. <laughs> oh, I just, I just really like coffee. I'm sorry. Um, where did the name Goo come from? Why Goo? Yeah. So we were founded back in 1993 by Dr. Bill Vaughn. And so he was looking for a solution for his daughter, Laura, who was running ultra marathons at the time and doing so on power bars. And it wasn't really treating her stomach so well. So he wanted to come up with a solution that provided what she needed, which is carbohydrates, electrolytes, and amino acids in an easily digestible and portable format. Uh, so he's mixing up these concoctions in his kitchen in Berkeley, California, and he noticed how gooey the texture was of it. And that is where the name goo came from. <laughs> Simple-minded man. I love it. Very straightforward. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it grew into this thing. So what scares me is like, putting science into things I eat, which is probably good, but they don't always taste great. How conscious of a decision, like I assume there's like, I'm just picturing like a wizard and like with like beakers and stuff. Um, true. <laughs> but like you have to make this stuff taste good. 
it ha- like it has to because people one need to stomach it. Uh, sure, you should always chase it with water in like a perfect world, but sometimes on training right, you're out of water. <laughs> so like, how like, important I'm is? I didn't hear that. <laughs> well, it's it's true, right? Like, how important is taste when it comes to? you know, building a product and I'll use a perfect example and I'll call this company out cause they know it was bad. Uh, Iron Man years ago came up with their own like Iron Man formula. So they dropped Gatorade who was the longtime sponsor. And it was, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like an Iron Man drink. Mm-hmm. And because of science, it was like phenomenal, like bunch of carbs, ton of salt, like, Great. Had everything you needed to perform. I worked for Iron Man for a while, so I know so I'm part of this mix. But it wasn't available to public and people were training on Gatorade because that's what they were doing. And then when the series came around, everyone went out and no one could stomach this stuff and it tasted so bad that they missed the mark that like they ended up just getting rid of it and going back to I think Gatorade signed back on at that time. But like, it has to be a conscious thought in the lab of like this. We have to be able to stomach this. It has to taste decent. Obviously, it's not a cheeseburger, but like, <laughs> it has to. Is that a conscious decision while in the lab? And has there ever been a time? And maybe you can't answer this, but like, where you're like, this is the greatest athletic formula we've ever made, but it tastes so bad we can't ever release it. I will say that um, <laughs> we do have a flavor scientist. He's our product developer, Brandon. And he, you, it's funny, you were describing the wizard in the back with the beakers. That's Brandon all day. Uh, <laughs> I'm very fortunate to work really closely with him. So, you know, we, we work on the same team. We're in research and development together. So um, we'll come up with concepts. I'll have my input on, oh, I think we should put this, that, or the other in there. He's the one who actually makes it taste good. He's the one who makes everything palatable for athletes because yes absolutely so important to have something that tastes good to make you want to keep fueling otherwise it's like if it doesn't taste good you're not going to want to keep eating it especially if you're out there like working really hard and your body doesn't want to accept a lot of calories in general no it has to taste good that's one of our minimum criteria so we have this whole flavor science program and we have a a flavor wheel that we look at different characteristics like salty and sweet and sour and bitter. And we, you know, use all of these concepts to come up with not only new flavor ideas, but just uh, different ways of delivering, I guess, a flavor experience, (laughs) if you will, because we know that, you know, flavor is a really strong like memory inducer, right? So you have certain flavors and it like takes you back to your childhood of like, oh, this reminds me of that like frosting I used to have on the Funfetti cakes and that's our birthday cake flavor. Um, And it's funny when we're working on flavors, we'll actually, you know, go into stores and buy different products with these flavor characteristics that we're looking to emulate in the gel. And it's really fun sometimes, like when we're creating our cold brew uh, gel, that really high caffeine one, we went to a bunch of different coffee shops around town. We bought a bunch of different bottled cold brews, even like trying them all out, seeing what flavor notes we like that came through in different ones. We're like, oh yeah, like this is a really good one. We got to try and capture that in the gel. Um, so all that's to say is yes, we realize that flavor is very important. We do focus on flavor science and we are very lucky to have Brandon, uh, who's our wizard in the back. And he's been with us for gosh, 
over 10 years now. And so he's kind of the mastermind behind all of the flavors that come out. So any great tasting product that you have from Goo is definitely thanks to him. I think there should be a flavor contest. Like Lay's Chips did it. I think you guys should put out like a, maybe this is a whole conversation for the marketing team, but like a goo, pitch your goo flavor and then you make it. Like a pumpkin spice latte goo in October or like flaming hot Cheetos goo. <laughs> or like, cause I don't know, sometimes I'm on a bike ride and I'm like, I could really use flaming hot Cheetos right now. Cause you just have those savory. odd yeah. cravings when you're on the, I think we're gonna do it. We'll do a mega contest for this. <laughs> No, but how I mean you guys pretty, stay pretty up on trends as far as like turning flavors over. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean I guess you answered it. It's a conscious decision. You have to continue to do that. True. And then yeah, to your point, we're always looking at, you know, what's trending in different flavor realms. So we're looking at, you know, whether that's food industry research. Um, There's these big expos, which we used to go to before the pandemic, which is, you know, all the new products that are coming out. So we're looking at different trends. What are people going for? So like our strawberry hibiscus flavor for Roctane energy drink was definitely more trend forward, I would say. So looking at hibiscus as kind of an emerging flavor concept, this was a couple of years ago now, but yeah, we're always looking for different inspiration and staying up with trends and it's a lot of fun looking at new flavors. And um, I will say we've tried some pretty unique things. Like you were talking about Flamin' Hot Cheetos flavor. Like we've definitely tested some off the wall concepts in the lab. Not that it's ever been released, but uh, you know, we've tried some savory options as well. So I don't want to throw out too many, but like tomato bisque might've been one of them at some point. Um, and they all do taste pretty on point. It's just, you know, how many people are going to want it? Yeah. How many people actually <laughs> want this? Do a small yeah. run, small, small tasting run. I don't know. I yeah. think there could be some fun in there, like really weird collab drops, Mountain Dew, X, Goo, Baja Blast. Baja Blast would probably be a good flavor, honestly, but I just want water. If you can get it to taste like water, <laughs> like that would be my ideal flavor. Uh, noted. Uh, we do have a tastefully new gel, which is basically our closest to an unflavored gel you can get. I don't, I don't know if you've ever tried that. I have. I would. Ah. I went. Goos are like my. I can't eat when I ride. I, like when mm-hmm. I go on bike tours, I can't. I can't. I just don't. I don't have an appetite. And I'm someone who's. I can struggle. Like I can suffer through even like a long ride. I can pretty much do that. But I'm trying not to do that mm. anymore. Because um, everyone's different, right? Like some people have to eat the whole time and then other people can just suffer through without having a sip of water on some things well eventually it'll catch up to you but like yeah i fall in the middle of that of like i can go for a long ride not take a sip of water not have any nutrition and make it mm-hmm. i'm trying to be better <laughs> right i'm like not ideal but no but yeah so you know goose help in that form of just like it's like a shot of tequila, not that I've, but like <laughs> whoosh, down the hatch, get your water, which is your lime, like whoosh, gone, like get it down the hatch. Nice analogy. Um, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I get this a lot. It's like, oh, well, I don't really need nutrition. I can do this without 
you know, fueling according to sports nutrition guidelines or the 200 calories an hour, whatever. It's like, sure, you can get away with a lot of things, but how much better would you feel? How much better would you perform if you were fueling properly? And a lot of times people, you know, will take that risk and they'll be like, okay, I'm going to try fueling your way and see how it goes. And they realize like, wow, I feel so much better and so much stronger when I'm actually consuming the things I need to consume. Um, And they just never look back after that. So it can be a pretty powerful experience if you're not used to fueling properly and then all of a sudden you take the dive and, you know, give your body what it needs and what it wants and it'll just respond so much better. Yeah. Yeah, it's a – let me ask you, is there any advantage to training poorly without nutrition and then race day just fueling yourself with nutrition? And maybe that's an extreme, but is there any advantage to that? I will say there's been an emerging interest in fasted training. Um, and I think based on research, there is a time and a place. It can be a tool in the toolbox for sure. Um, and a lot of people will point to, you know, maybe it enhances fat oxidation. So you're not so dependent on carbohydrate um, because you teach your body to basically tap into your own fat stores, which we have plenty of um, to fuel exercise. But I think, you need to use it sparingly and strategically, right? So maybe days when you have an easier ride, when it's non-critical, you don't have like a hard workout coming up, uh, you could do a fasted ride for a while, tap into those fast stores, but then you wanna follow that up with some ex- with some training that's gonna be fed, right? So you teach your body, yes, we're gonna have fuel coming in, we can use this fuel and we know how to use it efficiently. So your body does definitely recognize what nutrients are coming in and it learns to use those. So if you do all of your training fasted and then race day, you're like, I'm just going to shove a bunch of carbohydrates in your body's gonna be like, wait, what is happening? Like, this is not what we do, (laughs) but no, really like you just don't have those receptors built up in the small intestine that are going to help you utilize those carbohydrates as efficiently as if you were training with them beforehand. And that brings up this whole concept of training the gut, which you can actually increase your body's ability to burn carbohydrate by using carbohydrate when you're training like seems pretty basic but it does make a difference like if you do more carbohydrate during training your body can burn more carbohydrate when it needs to during racing i think that makes sense and i think training your gut just being able to stomach you know different things and being just knowing that your body can handle it so on a certain day yes you know like if you only drink water for all of your training and then you show up and start whoever the sponsor is that week of the said event, you put that a bunch of that in your stomach and you've never had it. Like, yeah, exactly. Do you think, and I know there's some bias here because clearly you work for goo, but should you train? So I'm training for X event, whatever marathon, should I look at that sponsor who, what nutrition will be on course and train with that? Is that important or are they, I don't know, how does that, how does that fall into training? Is it a conscious thought? It is. I'd say more important is doing what works best for your body. So sure, you should definitely look ahead and see what's going to be on course and maybe try it out. See if it does sit well with you. If it doesn't, I would say stick with what you know and what you know works for you. And then you might just have to bring that with you which can be a little bit of a drawback, but at the end of the day, if it's going to help you feel better and perform better, probably worth it versus trying something that maybe doesn't 
sit as well with your unique physiology or you know trying something new on race day which is the worst case you're like i'm just gonna have what's on course i don't train with that never tried it but no uh definitely recipe for potential disaster <laughs> um so i would say first choice is work with what you know sits well and second choice would be train with what's just going to be on course like make that decision but whatever it is make sure that you know it sits well with you i'll take that answer i like that answer <laughs> Um, I want to talk about Roctane. Explain kind of what it is. Is it just like all of your same things, but just like boosted or like explain the whole Roctane kind of series is, are we calling it a series? What do you call it? Yeah, we'll call it its own brand, I guess. Um, so Roctane is essentially yes similar to what you were saying a souped up version of the original goo energy gel so it has three times the amount of electrolytes and amino acids uh, basically more of what your body needs for when you're out there pushing your limits either you know pushing a, a duration you've never held before so a longer event or if it's an intensity that you're not accustomed to whenever you're out there really just kind of doing something that's very challenging for you and we have Roctane gels, which again are going to have more amino acids and electrolytes than our original energy gels, even though they're the same amount of calories, same size. Um, and then we have our Roctane energy drink mix, which is probably one of my favorite products we make. Uh, I train and race with that regularly. It's a high calorie, high energy drink mix with a lot of amino acids, um, which are going to protect your muscles from breakdown. And then, you know, plenty of electrolytes to help replenish what you're losing through sweat. But it's a workhorse because it's everything you need in one, which includes the hydration. So you have it in your bottle, you're drinking fluids, you're getting all the calories you need, um, you're getting all the amino acids and electrolytes. And really, you could subsist on that if you just did one serving of that per hour, that'd be 250 calories per hour, like 60 grams of carbs. It's pretty much everything you need in one packet. Um, so that's one of the things that I personally use, but also recommend to people who are training really hard or pushing their limits at races, um, super convenient. And it also makes sure that you get your hydration on top of your nutrition. Why would I ever not use Roctane? <laughs> so there's a couple <laughs> of circumstances. So I think this one, is an important question. I really do. Totally. No, it's a great question. And, and I don't. Honestly, I don't think I've ever gotten that question, but yes. so if sometimes, you know, if it's cold outside, you may not want to drink, right? Like that happens if you're, so I've been on lots of expeditions to really cold places and sometimes it can be challenging to want to stop and drink. And that could be a time when maybe Roctane is not going to be the best option just because it's going to be harder for you to want to get those calories down. And in that case, maybe I'll do something like I'll have a Stroop waffle tucked somewhere in a pocket next to my body so it stays warm, doesn't freeze. And then it's something you can chew on. So maybe that's more palatable in really cold temperatures. Um, so that's, I guess, one case where Roctane might be a little bit more challenging to use. Um, another might be just, you know, if you don't have access to a lot of water readily, you can't mix your own Roctane very easily when you're out there. Uh, that can be another challenging situation. So sometimes if you're doing self-supported type events, you know, you're out there for a long time, but you don't necessarily have a lot of water access, that could be another situation. 
But other than that, it's like, oh, again, one of my favorite products. I love that. But even, like, so I, I'm, and I'm not, I'm asking this genuinely, but like if I'm buying gels, there's no disadvantage of me buying Roctane. Like it's just, that just has more of what I would need at the end of the day. No, there's no disadvantage. Um, and yeah, I mix and match personally. It just depends just on maybe flavor. what flavor profile okay. I'm looking for. Yeah. Like sometimes I want a certain flavor and maybe that's only available in our original Goo Energy gel. But yeah, even though I'm racing, I might still go with that just because that's what sounds good. And like birthday cake, original Goo Energy gel line, my favorite flavor. I love it. Again, it's, it's like funfetti flavored. <laughs> like, I am a so salted good. watermelon guy. That is like my, that's my yeah. flavor. Yeah, I feel like there's flavor for everyone. You just got to find the right one. But I think you answered it. I'm just going to drive it home. Like if you're going to buy, go into the store to buy these things, there's no disadvantage in buying. You can't overdose on Roctane. It's be the same as any nutrition. Like you you have to take it as you would take it, but it doesn't, it's, it's only going to give you more, I guess. I guess. It is going to give you more. <laughs> yes. Give you um, more. <laughs> And give you more. Uh, but yeah, if you're, say, if you're just day-to-day -day training, you might not need all of the extra, but it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. So to your point, like, you'll be fine if you choose a Roctane gel or whatever just for an everyday training run. Um, it might be overkill for what you need, but it's not, you know, it's not any more calories or anything in that case. So it's, it's just a matter of preference. I like it. I think you answered it properly. Um, I want to touch on a couple... Still all goo related, but gels, chews, drinks, waffles. Are they all doing the same thing to an extent? Like, is there a different besides weather? Like you said, you might want to drink something. You might have a Stroop waffle. But like if I have a Stroop waffle and I have the chews, are they for the same thing? And are they doing the same thing? Because in my head, they don't. But I don't know anything. So... <laughs> You don't give yourself enough credit, Adam. Uh, you know plenty of things. But I will say there's a little bit of nuance there, right? So we like to think that pretty much you can swap any goop product kind of one for one, like a gel, maybe a serving of chews, um, the Roctane drink mix. You could use all of those when you're training or racing. And they do essentially the same thing, which is providing carbohydrates, electrolytes, and amino acids. The waffles will also do the same thing. I will say that it can be a little bit more to digest and break down just because the nature of it being like a solid and having a little more in there besides just carbohydrates and amino acids. Um, they do taste really good. I like to use them personally, like right before I start something like it's a great pre-workout snack um, or like if I'm racing, maybe I'll eat that in the last hour before I'm ready to, you know, take off. Um, but if you're working at a moderate intensity, say you're not like pushing super hard. You're not redlining by any means. Yeah. You can totally have that during your workout and I will train with them, you know, out on the trails all day. But when it comes race time, I might switch to something a little more simple, which would be our gels or chews or drink mix. So yes, they are kind of all interchangeable with that caveat that if you are pushing the intensity, you might stick more towards like the more simple, the better. So the most simple would be drink mix. Next would be gels, chews, and then waffles i think you do i think you answer that properly but as far as like nutrition they're all delivering the same ish types of nutrition it's really just what you can stomach at that level of intensity 
But that's more the, yes. the important part than the actual what it's giving you. Because I would think like a, a Stroop waffle to me is a snack. Like it's. Uh, they are I, delicious. Yes. They're, they're great. But like I am a big backcountry skier. So like I bring it and then I, I yeah. bring my jet boil and I make a cup of coffee at the top. And then, you know, I put the Stroop waffle on top of my coffee cup and let it warm a little bit. Great. Got the whole thing down. Nailed it. But I wouldn't think prior to this conversation, I wouldn't think that is doing the same thing as, uh, you know, an energy gel and or um, what are they called? Bites, chews, bites, chews, whatever. But like, I wouldn't think those are the same thing. I wouldn't think they're interchangeable. And I think the listeners, maybe I'm just an ignorant, dumb, whatever. But like, I think the listeners would agree with me in the saying I wouldn't, I didn't know that those were interchangeable. So thank you for answering that. Yeah. I think to your point, one of the things that most people may not realize about those waffles specifically is that they do have the branched chain amino acids. So again, you're getting that muscle protection factor um, and they do have added electrolytes to them. So they are truly a sports nutrition waffle. It's not just like Stroop waffles that you can buy off the shelf at a coffee shop, which are just purely meant for enjoyment and snacking. There are those and they do taste pretty similar to ours, but ours do have these additional sports-minded ingredients in them. And that's what makes them pretty unique and able to deliver what you need during exercise. So, yeah. Great. Thank you. I just had a brilliant question. I just forgot it. Dang it. Um, No. (laughs) What is, I had the, I had the goo website up, so I was cheating. What is, how important is nutrition after activity? Very important. I would say it's one of the most neglected and underestimated parts of sports nutrition. Um, You know, you finish working out, maybe if it's a race, you go have a finish line beer and then you go have your tacos and margaritas or whatever it is you're going to have. But you're missing this like really critical point to give your body what it can absorb really readily in that maybe 30 to 60 minute post-workout post-race window, um, your muscles are like a sponge that have been wrung out and are ready to just absorb whatever nutrients you're ready to put in them. And the most important thing at that point is going to be replacing carbohydrates that you've burned through during exercise, giving your muscles protein because they've undergone some form of damage during exercise, and then also rehydrating with, you know, not only just fluids, but also the sodium that you've sweated out during exercise. So if you can get all of those things covered, then you're going to set yourself up really well for recovery and just come back faster, come back stronger. And, you know, a few days later, just be ready to train again, which is great for most people who are competing or training year round. But yeah, I think, again, it's so important. And for that reason, like I always have when I finish any workout, any race, whatever it is I'm doing, I have a protein recovery drink ready for me in the car, in my gym bag. It's the first thing I do when I finish working out. And it's like, if you just cover that right after you finish working out, you can go and do whatever you're going to do the rest of the day. But just make that conscious decision, set yourself up for success by having those things ready on hand when you finish training. I think you answered that one. I don't know. I can't. I have no rebuttal to that. Like, I'm like, I feel very passionate about this. Yeah. It's, she knows her shit, guys. She knows what she's talking about. She's very passionate just about this. Just put your protein in. <laughs> so I shouldn't just get a chicken finger sub and roast beef on whack. Because that's my post. I mean, I'm, there's some carbs in there. I'm really stacking. But um, 
what's next for nutrition? Like, obviously, don't tell me any trade secrets, but like, are we going to be wearing patches here? Like, I feel like nutrition is really just getting started. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but like, feels like every day something new comes out, some new word I don't know, or some new way to train. Where, what is the future of nutrition? I think there's a lot to be learned from just biometrics, uh, being able to see in real time what your, say, blood glucose is doing during exercise. Um, eventually, we'll be able to have wearable sensors where we can track not only blood glucose, but also things like ketones or lactate production. And I think that's going to tell us a lot about what we need to be doing in the moment and being able to adjust on the fly based on those, you know, parameters that we're seeing pop up. And I think that's really exciting. Um, and again, this is all happening right now. Like we already have the capability to track with continuous glucose monitors and see what our blood glucose is doing minute by minute, um, whether that's just walking around on the street or if it's during exercise. Uh, and that can really inform your fueling strategy. Like if you're hypoglycemic, your blood glucose is too low. Maybe it's time to, you know, pop a gel or have a chew. Um, if your blood glucose is screaming high, maybe you need to rethink some of your nutrition strategy or even just your daily nutrition, right? Um, but yeah, I think that's a really interesting area that's up and coming in nutrition is just being able to really dial in your personal nutrition based on biometric feedback. Um, and then I think the other really cool area of research right now that I'm seeing is all of the integration with just the gut and what it does for not only our nutrition, like our main source of absorption of nutrients is, is our small intestine, but it also contributes to mood. It contributes to our immune system function, uh, recovery. There's so much that we're learning about the gut and its important role, not only in athletic performance, but just in overall well-being and uh, longevity. So those are pretty exciting areas for me. Yeah, I don't, it's so, you're so passionate about it. And it just, like, you can hear it when you talk. Like, it's, there's no, I said poser in my last episode, but, like, um, <laughs> I'm bringing the word back because I, I interviewed uh, Andrew Alexander King. And at the end, I was like, man, like, it's, you are not a poser. You're just passionate. Like, this is real. And it it speaks from every word you say. And from a brand standpoint, from an athlete standpoint, from a student standpoint, like you're, I don't want to say a nerd, but like you just geek out in this and, but it shows when you speak and it's, it's interesting. So thank you for kind of sharing and enlightening, you know, telling the stories and what's next and what's exciting and what we can look forward to as, I mean, we're consumers as consumers. That's what's going to be next is, you know, the watches are getting smarter and they're telling you what's happening and what you should do because of that. And, you know, I don't know. It's neat. It's a, it's a fun, it's a fun world and it's crazy how well or how much better your body will perform if you just provide proper nutrition, which seems so simple. Yeah. And it's not only, you know, physical performance, but also cognitive performance. And that's another thing that we've been focusing on um, at work is just looking at how nutrition can influence how you make decisions, how, you know, focused you are, all of these sort of things that can make such a big difference in, you know, how you react in your environment. So not only from a, again, a sports 
standpoint, but also just like in work, in life, if you're, you know, in a job that's very cognitively demanding, which a lot of us are these days, um, how nutrition can really play into that and make you feel smarter, more with it, more, you know, able to respond quickly to whatever it is that's happening around you. Uh, so yeah, there I go again. But yes, I totally <laughs> nerd out on this stuff. And like, first thing I do when I wake up is look at all the research updates that are coming out and read research papers. So if that gives you any sort of glimpse into my social life. <laughs> Anyways. Well, I love it. Uh, where can people follow Roxanne the athlete? Where can people follow Goo? And what's next for, I like that we're saying like the both of you, like you're two different things, but, and what's next for the both of you? Like what's next for Roxanne, <laughs> the athlete, what's next for Roxanne, the career, the career of Roxanne? Uh, yes. So goo, you can find us at gooenergy.com. Um, personally, I'm not great on social media and that's one of my big downfalls, I guess, but I do have a Instagram account, which I don't update very regularly. Roxy Mountain Girl, Roxy M-T-N-G-I-R-L. Um, and then I guess as far as what's next, what's coming up, I have Leadville 100, which will be my first 100-mile race I'm pretty excited for in a few weeks here. And then the Snowman Race in Bhutan coming up in October. And as far as the career slash education part, <laughs> looking to finish my PhD within the next six months is going to be a pretty big challenge and a very exciting hurdle. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'll be at goo for the unforeseeable future and I'm very happy to be you. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I appreciate all your time and your knowledge and just passion for all things nutrition and dumbing it down for people like me. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. <laughs>